Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. It is just going to be Jeffrey Lavecchio and I, and this is going to be an Ask Me Anything, where the two of us, we have nothing pre-recorded, scripted, anything like that. We are just going to ask each other questions, and we have to answer off the top of our head on whatever it is that we are asked. So uh, this is going to be a fun one, flying off the seat of our pants a little bit, because I have no idea what he's going to ask me. He has no idea what I'm going to ask him. And uh, really, really looking forward to this one. I'm sure this one's going to be fun. Probably some stuff that's going to be helpful for some people as well, hopefully. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So why don't we just bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Levecchio, right now. Vex, what is shaking? Not much, man. Uh, we just had a, I would like all the listeners to know, we just had an unbelievable about 32 minute tutorial teaching Topher how to use the Instagram, teaching him how to do the reels. I believe it start... was Exchangegram. <laughs> um, it's on the line. Yeah. Uh, just teaching you to do the gram, man. I'm happy that I think that Twitter has done you well, but Twitter's a lot of older people. And I think that a lot of kids are missing out on the value of the little things from last night that you've been doing on Twitter for what, a year or two? Um, like and three I, or four years. Oh, three, oh, years, wow, three maybe? or four. Yeah, yeah. man. I think that it's going to help. Dude, that's how the kids. hockey think tank started. Like I literally was just, you know, I had left coaching at Cornell and I didn't have much going on. And I was watching a lot of hockey, just kind of trying to learn and see what some of the teams, the NHL were doing. And then, so I was like, Hey, I'm just going to clip some of these and put them up on, uh, on Twitter. And then it just kind of started to blow up a little bit. And, uh, I was like, Hey, like, this is pretty cool. Maybe I can yeah. like do some more stuff to try and help and educate people on the game. And here we are podcast later, company later, crazy stuff, man. Wow. Wow million downloads not a big deal <laughs> yeah so that was super fun um you know this is grind time for me too so starting up i started up with a new young group i hadn't added any younger players to like a whole training group in probably two or three years and uh one of the one of my buddies here a local advisor asked me to work with a bunch of 07s um from the triple a blues and some other guys so starting with some young guys and it's it's so fun starting with like it's like a it's like a ball of clay that hasn't been you know molded in anything yet they, they haven't really got a ton of working out experience um so they're like eager to learn and they like really listen yeah and that's just been so fun to work with these young guys and and, and you know it's just so different working with guys who are you know at the beginning of their training journey versus you know an nhl player that's 25 or you know Tebow who's 36 you know it's such a different energy in the gym so it's been really cool um this is the second week with them and then just rolling out the online training here this is uh week three for some people of my off-season prep phase the first phase that that a lot of um, athletes do to start up their training and i got a ton of guys doing it um and it's really awesome partnered with hawkeye hockey services uh an advising firm to help young players that do it the right way i believe in what they do so i partnered with them and i have a bunch of their athletes uh on uh, training with me online all off-season long so just Love doing this stuff, man. Obviously, I'm pumped up. I just help you with the gram. Let's get into the get into the cast of potting. Get let's get into the cast of potting. And maybe we'll put this on YouTube. Tof and I were talking about we're gonna start putting our podcast on YouTube so you guys can see what it looks like when we're laughing at each other, 
after he said we might put it on YouTube, I raised my arms to flex and I realized, oh my God, I have holy pit stain central. Jesus. <laughs> well, I had a Zoom call with a kid who's going to University of Michigan from Waterloo Blackhawks uh, and his family about training online. And I was nervous and sweating and I just got out of the gym and now my pits look like Lake Geneva. <laughs> hey it's a beautiful lake it's a beautiful lake yeah okay um before we do get over to this little ask me anything that we're going to do today uh we do want to have some thank yous for the people who make this podcast go want to thank gel sticks our title sponsor go to gelstx.com such an important time of year for them because they not only have hockey sticks and it's nice outside so you can get out uh like on your driveway or in your street and uh some of those people like people have that big hot i think it's called hockey shot or something uh, where they could put it across like their whole garage where there's like a net and then there's netting so you and can you miss put the net. garage up yeah yeah right? or yeah. i mean i don't think it really matters but either way just use the gel sticks to, to get out and, and shoot some pucks but they also have lacrosse sticks and they have golf clubs as well so it's getting into those types of seasons too and so uh gel sticks they've been with us every step of the way since we started doing some some ad reads on here and it's an awesome company same values as us and uh so yeah go to gelsticks.com use coupon code think tank one word and then vex train heroic Thank you to Train Heroic. As I was talking about my online training, that's the app I house the thousands of people that I've worked with over the last couple of years. And uh, super clean app, videos of me demonstrating, coaching everything. It's like I'm standing next to you for a fraction of the price of what it costs to train with me in person. And I get to help way, 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 way more athletes and hockey players that I never would have been able to work with otherwise. And that's the reason that I've been able to be the strength coach for two USHL teams, you know, an NAHL team, three EHL teams, organizations across the country. It's, it's allowed me to do a lot. So thank you to train heroic. Yes, sir. And thank you to icehockeysystems.com as well. They are the best site to get better and develop as a coach and thousands of drills, a drill drawing tool where you can draw your drills up. And we have a associations tab that we have partnered with them where you can go and get this for every coach within your organization. And it's a phenomenal, phenomenal tool. So many people have signed up for this already. And uh, yeah, we've also partnered with them. They have our hockey think tank parent survival guide now. So not only are you educating all of your coaches within your organization, but you are educating all of your parents in your organization as well. So go to icehockeysystems.com, look for the uh, associations tab and get that for your hockey organization today. Also, thank you to Blue Wire Pods, which is our parent company. Uh, they have been awesome in helping to grow our podcast. There's so many cool podcasters in the sports world of every single um you know, every single sport. And one of the big hockey ones that is in this family as well as the hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich, who is an unbelievable follow on Twitter. He does so many amazing things as well. And so um, thank you to blue wire pods. And now Vex, are you ready to let her rip? I am. Let's do this. <laughs> Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with Royal Caribbean? You don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Okay, all right. I'll do the first question. I want to know. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with this right now, like in my own kind of life. What is your daily routine like? My daily routine? Oh, yeah, so I want to know about your routine. I want to know what makes you productive. I want to know how you get from point A to point B and, and how you're to able to be like with all of the things that you're juggling so efficient and so good at what you do. And, uh, I've really tried to hammer the routine down for myself. And so want to know what, what your routine is. Well, I, I would say I'll talk about like my summer routine because that's where it's like really, really regimented because I have to be, if I'm working with, you know, yeah. anywhere from 80 to 130 guys a day, um, I'll usually wake up at like 4:40 AM uh, get a coffee in me, well, water first, coffee in me right away, sit down at the computer. If I need to do anything 
um, online work-wise, like send any emails out or talk to people, agencies, teams, whatever, players. Uh, then I get to the gym. Usually the first session, uh, past two summers, it started at 6.05 a.m. And then we go like 6 to 8. And then hopefully I get a snack in there. Uh, I'll have a smoothie right when I wake up as well before I get to the gym. Protein, carbs, veggies, what's up? And 6 to 8, first session, 6.05 to 8. Then second session usually is a little bit younger group because then the college group skates while the pro guys skate. Um, and I'll do a younger group from eight to nine 40 pros get off the ice. Pros usually work out at 10 to 11 45, 12 ish, whatever it's going to be. Um, last summer I went and ate lunch then and immediately worked out, came back for another session and then if it was Monday or Wednesday, I'd have another session after that and be done around six or six thirty. And then I would come home and die and <laughs> uh, do it, do it all over again, unless it was a podcast night where I would have a podcast. And as you, I'm sure you remember, I definitely fell asleep on probably two or three podcasts in the past two years during the offseason because I would just be. Oh my God. I've got, I've been yelling all day, trying to, you know, keep everybody accountable and pumped up. And there were definitely days where I dozed off. The there were there. I can remember. Like, yeah. At least one. But but. I'll say this though. It was usually when Adam, the big cat Nicholas was on, cause he'd go on a 25 minute rant. So I didn't need to say anything anyway. So it worked out <laughs> perfectly. Oh my God. You're such yeah. a beauty. Yeah, so but it, you know, it's it's a lot of just like being super regimented and, and setting my schedule. And I'm lucky that with how I run my business of training my guys, um, I don't like just do random people. So like the way I set it up is like, if you work with me, you work with me four days a week and you work with me the entire off season. I don't take guys who like come and go. It's like, you're here. Yeah. Like that's my thing. So then I can put them in groups where they're, you know, grouped together by age and skill level and stuff like that. And then the entire summer, my schedule is pretty much set except for Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, and usually Sunday, um, I'll have a meeting with a one-on-one -on -one online client. We meet every Sunday to go over goal setting and some psychology to keep going with being healthy and stuff like that. Then I work with the veterans. Um, you know, I donate time every Sunday to work with the veteran guys now the last like six months. And then Saturday, I'll usually work with a, like, I have some friends who they have younger kids and they want me to train them. So I'll usually work with some young, young kids then just on Saturdays. And then get a really good workout myself on Saturdays because I actually have a little bit of energy from not having to work too much. And Wednesdays this year, I'm going to start doing like recovery workouts as well to add another thing for the guys, add some more value to their life. Um, and then we podcast Wednesday. So that's usually my week uh, in a nutshell during the offseason. How have you found that having a routine helps? Oh, or have you found that having a routine helps? No, dude, it's everything. It's everything. And I learned that at a young age and we've, you know, kind of touched on this stuff throughout, uh, throughout, you know, the podcast we've been doing, but like, for me, I need routine and it's not like from like, Oh, I gotta be crazy with my schedule or like, you know, like anal about like, you know, this or that being at this time or this place, but I'm most successful, the more routine orientated I am. And it was the same way when I was playing. And one of the reasons is predictability, which we've talked about in players, like why do colleges choose certain guys? Well, they're predictable. Why do NHL teams keep certain guys? They're predictable. They know what they're going to get out of them every night. And I learned from my hockey career that if I was super regimented, I, I knew how I would feel which then would lead to me playing better because I felt good. So like by being routine oriented, uh, it allowed me to be pre pre predictable going into a game and having confidence and being able to do things. So I just have kind of done that now in my business life, post hockey career. Um, so for me, it helps big time. Like when I'm not too busy during the hockey season now, and I do most of my work online with all the teams and people that I work with, there's a lot less structure to my day. And I have noticed that I dilly dally like a <laughs> and it's brutal and yeah. I hate it. Yeah. But I also know that I can't burn the candle the whole summer for four months, five months and live that hard and put out that much energy every single day and not kind of pay for it. I know that, but like, you know, for whatever, like, this is what I love to do. So I'm going to do that. And then I allow myself now to kind of be a little more lax during the hockey season on being so scheduled and regimented because it's so intense 
for five months a year. Yeah, I like that. I think the other thing that predictability does is I think predictability like decreases anxiety. Yes. You know, yes. and, and like talking about it from like a confidence standpoint as an athlete too, like when you have a routine and you stick to that routine, like I get a lot of this from Craig Ballantyne. So Craig Ballantyne is someone who we've had on the podcast. And honestly, for everybody that's listening, guys, if you haven't listened to that episode, you need to go listen to it. It's probably been the most impactful one for me myself that we've done um, just in terms of living your life, the way that you want to live your life and being productive and um, giving to others and whatever it is that, that you want to do. So, um, but his biggest thing is like discipline equals freedom. Like when you're disciplined with yourself, it, 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 it like now there's no, what if you know, cause confidence comes from putting in the work. When you put in the work, you earn your confidence. And when you stick to routine and you don't waver from that, like, and obviously you can change it at certain times if it needs to be changed, but like when you have it and you don't waver for it and you do the things that you say you're going to do, like he says, confidence comes from making a promise to yourself and keeping it. That's where, that's what confidence comes from. And so I've really tried to use that in, in my life and it's really helped, man. Like it really, really helped from so many different angles, from a productivity angle, I'm getting so much more done throughout a day from a work-life balance angle, because now I have goals, I have routines, I have things that I stick to. And when I'm more productive, then I don't have to work at night. Now I can use that time to hang out with my kids, hang out with my wife, not worry about, uh, um, you know, a task or a to-do list thing that, that isn't done. And, and that just like, it, it reduces anxiety and stress with, with what you're doing too. And it all comes from having a routine. And so it's really changed. I mean, we, we had them, like we didn't knowingly have these when we were athletes or we were college hockey players, they were already embedded in our schedules. Like people schedule things for you, you know, when you're a junior hockey player, when you're a kid, you know, when you're a college hockey player, pro hockey player, all that kind of stuff. And then when you get into the real world, you know, a lot of times you have to find it for yourself. And so, yeah, being disciplined with a routine, I, I think the best and most productive people in the world, they do that. And it just adds so much value to your day and decreases so much of the crap, like the anxiety and the stress. And I couldn't, like, I couldn't, that's why I wanted to ask you first. I'm so into that right now. The other thing that I'm doing too, this is another Craig Valentine thing is like, wake up earlier than everybody else and get the most important thing done. So I've been waking up at 5.15 every morning and I know what the most important thing for the next day is going to be that I need to get done. And I get that done before my kids wake up. And I can't tell you how good it feels to know that the most important thing is already done and it's 7 a.m. Like you feel like there's times where it's like, oh my God, what, what should I do with the rest of my day? Like you obviously have stuff to do, but it's just been such a game changer for me. I encourage everybody like wake up an hour earlier than you normally do. You're going to have to really the first week, maybe the first two, three weeks, like it's going to suck and you're not going to want to do it. And you're going to want to hit the snooze button, but just like will yourself just for the first two weeks. And then it'll become a part of your routine because it's funny. Like I was doing this where I was waking up, but on the weekends I was sleeping until my kids got up like 7am or whatever. And I would wake up and I'd, I'd be feeling a little kind of like anxious, you know, that I haven't gotten something done yet. And I'm like, man, I maybe, maybe I need to do this every day. <laughs> and uh, it's just interesting, man. Routines are so, so incredibly, I think, important. Yeah. And the biggest, I love all of that. Uh, and the biggest thing is like you said, just like builds confidence and you, you know, you get more done. You get, it's just easy. Like my girlfriend, she's, she's really good at social media. She's a full-time um, Instagram influencer and tries to help people and works with companies and brands and stuff and just literally tries to help people all day she is so regimented it's unbelievable yeah like i thought i was regimented like she's got it like down to like every day tasks she has to click off every single day you know times on and she writes it by hand too because she said that helps in her brain like for it to be better than like a, you know on a calendar on phone and I, i'm kind of the same way actually too i like writing things down more than 
than putting them in my phone. For some reason, they're more impactful to me when I do them that way. Um, but yeah, dude, and it, you know, I just see how successful she is fit by Kiki, throw her a follow K I K I what's up. And, uh, yeah, man, it's just, it's really cool. And everyone who's successful that I know, and it doesn't mean you won't be successful if you don't do this, but I just think it increases the odds for the vast majority of oh, athletes, for sure. coaches, people, whoever. Yeah. Yeah. No question, man. Um, okay. Right. My turn. What do you got for me? Yeah. My turn. I have a hockey question. <laughs> Hold on. You watch the office. Yeah, I forget. Uh, I forget what episode it was, but he was like, "My, my, my turn, my, my turn, my, my turn." My, my, my you remember turn. that? <laughs> yeah, obviously. Do you remember what episode office, that like, was? I don't. I've watched it like. Oh, you know what it was? Too. I remember it was the the Christmas dinner party episode, which I think is one of the best episodes of all time. Like where they go to Michael and Jan's house for dinner. I think it's during Christmas time. Yeah, and uh, and like yeah. yeah. They go nuts. Yeah. And and she starts dancing with somebody. Yeah. He's got like the light, the, the neon sign on yeah. the wall. St. Pauli's girl or whatever. Yeah. What a show. Um, all right. I got a hockey question. Okay. What do you got? So in your, in your junior and your college career. So looking at your elite prospects right now, you know, your first year in the USHL when you were like a baby, I think you were like seven, your first year in the USHL, <laughs> youngest player ever up to that point. Um, I had the height had, of a seven-year-old at least. <laughs> you had five goals. Your second year, you had 10. Your third year, we won't really count because you only played 24 games. Um, but your last year, you had 21. So 5, 10, 21. All right. In college, kind of the same thing happened. You had five goals as a freshman, six as a sophomore, four as a junior, and 10 as a senior. So in both leagues, your, your last year, you doubled the amount of goals or more pretty much um, from your first year to your last year. Why? How? That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I can really speak to my junior career because I, I don't think it was maybe intentional. I think it might've just been experience. I mean, you know, for people that don't know my story that haven't listened, like, you know, I went to the USHL at 15, got my ass kicked for two years. Shouldn't have been playing junior hockey that young. <laughs> um, then my third year, uh, tore my ACL in the first game of the season and then missed, you know, most of the season. And then my, my last year, my fourth year was that year. I, I guess you could say I kind of popped a little bit. Um, my second year I did well, um, and probably yeah, dude, would have done 16, that 16, 17 years old. You had 27 points in 59 games in the USHL when everybody was 20. Yeah, that was a, <laughs> that was a good, year. but either way, it, like my last year was definitely my best year when it came to production and stuff. Um, I, I mean, I loved my coach that year. Will nickel was the best. He's one of the best coaches I ever had. Um, we had a great team. We had a great group, great culture, great locker. Like, I don't know. It was just a year where everything seemed to kind of click. We won the Eastern division for the first time in steel history. You know, we lost in game five. It was best of five series to Waterloo and they went, ended up winning the Clark cup that year. So we were right there. Um, yeah, I'm not sure in, in terms of college, I never really honestly had confidence in my shot. I was always pass first. Like I, I never really was the goal scorer. I was always the playmaker. I always had way more assists than I had goals. And, um, my senior year in college, I made a conscious effort to try and change that like legitimately in the summer. And it started in the summer. It was, I need to change my mindset from being a playmaker. And like, I used to get made fun of for having not a very good shot. I, I did. And like, honestly, like even from my coaches when like they thought it was kind of funny, there is a funny story. So like at some point in practice, we were doing like a scrimmage and the coaches were scrimmaging with us and I scored a goal, like I roofed it or something like that. And I went back into my stall after practice and there was a puck you know, in, in my stall and it's got the tape around it. Right. Yeah, and yeah, just yeah. toast first lift. <laughs> so it's just like funny, but also as you know, like you take pride in your game. And so when like your coach even is like making fun of you for your shot, it's like, you don't really, that doesn't bode for a lot of confidence or whatever, but then, yeah, my senior year, I just basically said, screw it. And I had the mentality of like, I'm going to be a goal scorer this year. And so I, I'm like, no word of a lie in two on ones in practice. I never passed the puck. I always shot the puck. I was just trying to get in the mindset of being a goal scorer, get to the, I was like, get to the front of the net and stop like all the things that goal scorers do rather than what I normally do, be the guy to bring the puck inside the zone on an entry, do an escape, you know, cut back in the corner, find the guy in the slot. Like those were the things that I was really good at. And, you know, I was just like, no, I'm, I'm just going to, 
I'm going to be a goal scorer. So it, it was all mentality, dude. Like literally it was all mentality. That's all. And that's what I try to teach a lot with my players that I coach is that goal scoring. There's obviously a tactical side to it. There's obviously a skill side to it, but I would say that the most important thing is a mentality and a confidence that you can do it and, and you're good at it. And I remember my one year that I was coaching at Miami of Ohio. And I know I've told this story before, but like Andy Mealy won the Hobie Baker that year. And every day, Andy Mealy and I, for the last probably four or five months of the season, took 10 to 15 minutes after practice. And all we did was work on mentality in front of the net. It was all in tight stuff. And he was skilled beyond belief. Like he was on, I mean, dude, he was the captain of the freaking Olympic team this year for, for USA. He's a very good hockey player, you know, but he, we worked on all his mentality. Like everything, it was bury it, bury it, bury it, bury it bury it. I didn't care where the puck went. I didn't care how it looked tactically. It was just bury it, like put the puck through the net. And I think that really helped. And, and so I take that with me wherever I go right now. So like long-winded answer to your question. Like, I don't really, I, I can't, I'm not sure about the goal jump from juniors, but in college, it was an intentional thing to work on my mentality to stop being so pass first and start to have a little bit more of a goal scorers mentality. And I 100% agree. Literally anytime I got in a slump and I've told this on the podcast before in any type of way, especially when I went to Europe and like, I kind of like really got my goal scoring back and like was looked to score goals every year, paid to score goals every year. Um, I would finish the puck in every drill, like almost as long as it wouldn't wreck the drill, whatever the drill was, if I wouldn't wreck the drill by grabbing the puck, if it went in the corner from a rebound and putting it in the net, even if the goalie's not looking, not ever doing anything dangerous to hit the goalie in the back of the leg and be an idiot, but just like finishing the puck in the net. Literally, there's something about that that builds a confidence. It builds a reflex muscle, you know, and it's and it's a mentality. Like you said, like, I will put this puck in the freaking net. And I've told that story before when I was coaching my last year in midgets where we had a kid, Justin Rapp, who just played for the national championship, uh, made midgets uh, lost, unfortunately. Um, but uh, he just tendered with um, uh, Butchie's team. Actually, he called me and was asking about Oh, in Johnstown. Yeah. yeah oh, just nice. tendered with him during nationals. Congrats rapper. Um, but he, during his 16th year, um, you know, he scored a good amount of goals in the beginning. And then he went on like a 15 game skip with no goals. And he's like, I don't know. You know, we talked about, I said, all right, I want you to do this thing now. Like, I know it's going to sound goofy, let's do it. And I made him do it. The last 10 games of the year, I think he had 12 goals. He outscored everyone on the team in the last 10 games. And the only thing differently he was doing was literally no matter where the puck, the puck could get shot down the other end of the ice. And I was like, I don't care. You get the same puck, you skate back and you put it in the net. And, and you find like, that dog and you, and you find that effing dog and, <laughs> and you know, like the results spoke for themselves. So I would hundred percent believe you. It is definitely a mentality first to just make sure that you're always burying that puck. And I love yeah. that really story. And, and, and it goes to what you say too. Like we get asked this question all the time. Like, what do I do when I'm in a slump, you know, and it's get back to the fundamentals and it's the fundamental, the biggest fundamental is your mentality and your confidence, like do the work, do the fundamental work, um, and, and change the way that you think about yourself. Because when you're in a slump, a couple different things can happen, right? You can think I'm not very good. (laughs) You can think I'm just gripping the stick very tight. Like I'm just unlucky. Um, and like, you just got to change your mindset to, to get back to the confident self that made you. And a lot of the times it happens, the slumps happen after like a peak where you're doing really well too because usually when people hit that peak what do you do when you you're doing really really well you think it's easy and you forget about the work that you put in to allow you to have that peak and so then you get into a slump and that's why so many people it goes up and down and up and down with how you're playing especially in a long season and so all you got to do is just be consistent with your work ethic be consistent in your mentality if you get a little bit too high you get a little bit too low get back to the basics and the fundamentals and and get your mentality right hundred percent. Love it. Like it. Love it. Like it. Want some more of it. Boom. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I have a question for you. Hockey question. Another hockey question. So a lot of kids, especially older kids, you know, have to play a certain type of role where you're a little bit more of like a defensive 
energy guy. Um, and that's a role that you played in the AHL when you were grinding, getting so close to the NHL. Um, what do you give me two things that are important to play as a forward, a third, fourth line energy type of role? Uh, you have to be committed to the details because like skill guys can get who are at every level, you know, respective to that level and where you are. Skill guys usually get a little more rope to make mistakes. Usually skill guys can make more mistakes because they have more talent to, you know, make up for it and doing something that will change uh, the course of the game. Um, You have less rope as a third or fourth line player. It's just how it goes, especially at the higher levels. So I think the best thing you can possibly do, the first thing you need to do is define your role with the coach. Like the first thing, like, and I wish I would have done this. I wish like, I ask them what they want from you. Like, okay, coach, what are we looking for out of the, and go in with your whole line too, because if it's just you on the same page with the coach, you're missing the two other guys. So go in with your line. You're the third line or the fourth line coach. We're on the X line on this line. What is our role? What do you want us to accomplish? What I would assume they're going to say is be a, be a plus, you know, every game be a plus from like plus minus standpoint. Um, then a lot of teams internally have plus minus stats. It's not the same stats. It's like, you know, did you create or did you get a scoring chance against be a plus in those as well. Um, and then whatever your role is like, do it to the best possible ability you can and exceed his expectations because who are we kidding? Nobody, everybody wants to play first line. Everybody wants to play power play. Nobody wants to be on the third or fourth line and play less. So the way you get to the second line or you go up or you go from fourth to third, third to second, second to first is by crushing whatever role you're given. It's not trying to toe drag from the fourth line. That's not what they're looking for. That's not your role at the higher levels. Your role is most likely what I would assume most coaches would say, energy, be a plus, uh, be intimidating, like be hard to play against, you know? And so that means sticking to the details that, you need to do to fulfill the role that he's asking that's probably going to be try to keep the puck in their end so that you tire out their d and make good changes so that you know if you're on the fourth line and you're playing against their fourth line and you make a great change now your team's first line is against their tired fourth line so you're probably going to get more goals for your team by doing that and making good changes and and the details come into that stick pressure everywhere finish every single check and that doesn't mean you got to murder guys you know when we were playing fourth line your job is try to hit to hurt pretty much you know now it's like just make contact and and make sure you're on the right side of the puck for if you have to back check so don't take yourself out of the play by trying to murder a guy then your d-man beats you up the ice that you know just hit him hard enough to where you keep body position so like stick pressure finish your checks and then just be a team guy man be somebody that's hard to play against Nobody wants to play against the guy who's as a forward, every shot you go and stop in the crease and you stand there, you get in their goalie's face. And, you know, whether you're a guy who talks shit or not, you know, that's kind of you as a personality or how you play, but like nobody wants to have to push you out of the crease every time there's a shot. That's not fun. And then you push back, right? You know, the, you're going to get in the goalie's head. Wow. He's going to be there every time there's a rebound. Now he's clenching his butt, trying to find the puck because he knows that you're going to be there every single time there's a shot. So that's being hard to play against, you know, battling on faceoffs. It's all the little things that make up a good third and fourth line player. Yeah. I want to piggyback a, a couple things. Number one is like for all the kids that are listening, especially the ones that are getting a little bit older and playing a little bit more higher level hockey, like Vex, you can probably attest to this too, but like how many guys do you know, say what you said in terms of, I wish I would have known what they wanted from me in pro hockey, like guys oh, that were I'm, playing everyone. third, fourth line roles that got traded or cut or didn't make it to where they ultimately wanted to make it to or didn't have like the success you know I've had so many different conversations with guys who you know maybe got a taste in the NHL but were like AHL players and then went to Europe or something Uh, maybe they were career AHL players and never got up things like that and like one of their like almost everybody that I talked to one of their biggest regrets is like I wish they would have told me what they wanted from me like if they would have told me like even guys like guys would be like I wish they told me that they wanted me to fight I would have fought 
and yeah. this was in a different day. I mean, still, I'm sure that coaches want guys to fight and stuff like that. But like, especially when we were going up, like that was an important part of being a third or fourth liner at times. Um, I wish I would have known that they wanted me to be a better penalty killer. I wish I would have known like what the, what are the things that they wanted to see from me on the ice. And yeah, I think your point of saying that, and I'm sure a lot of that is from experience (laughs) of of being in the AHL. Like, Dude, the other part of that too is coaches. You've got to know what you want out of each line, what the goal is for them. Because like, not trying to like shit on anybody or anything, but like when I was with the Bruins, my first year I scored 15 goals, no power play in 65 games. So like that's on pace for a 20 goal season. You score 20 goals in the AHL, you're considered a goal scorer, right? I missed, you know, 20 games or whatever. Cause I took a slap shot in the face and I got knocked out, obviously sucks. Um, but you know, the next year I was playing first and second line, and I went to camp and, uh, you know, um, the, the, the front office was like, be Byron bits. We just want you to be Byron bits. We don't care if you score. So I was playing first and second line with like Marshawn and Trent Whitfield who already had like 200 games in the NHL or something. And I'm like dumping the puck and thinking the way I'm going to get up is by being Byron bits. I like took it too far, but then I never, and even, and then I, my points dropped and I wasn't scoring. And then I went into a slump because I was like, what the hell's going on? And, and, and I look back and I should have then went to the coach and been like, what are you looking for out of me when I'm playing on this line? Because I took it too literally. And then when I was with the Panthers organization, I got traded them. I'm in Rochester and I went to my head coach because I got healthy scratched, you know, as you know, I was one of two plus players on the entire team. Everyone was like dash 20 when I was in the AHL in Rochester, I played there for 56 games and uh, I was a plus six. There was only one other guy on the team that was a plus. So I was doing my job in that regard. I fought a couple times and uh, I remember going to the coach after I got healthy scratch. And I said, look, if you want me to fight, I'm not saying I'm going to win all of them, but I will fight more. If that's what mean, means I will stay in the lineup, just tell me. If I need to add that, I will fight every night. And he looked me in the eye and he said, no, I don't need you to fight. I don't need to fight. You don't have to fight. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, bring the energy, put in some points, be a plus. Yeah, yeah. But then we had our end of the year meeting with the Florida assistant GM. And he said to me, I wish you would have fought more. And I almost yeah. flipped the freaking table. I literally almost flipped the table. And that's the only time in my career up to this point that I stood up for myself. And I said, I came to you 20 games ago or 30 games ago, whatever it was. And I said, if you want me to fight, say the word and I will fight more. So, and I, I'm, and, I, and that coach literally helped me down the road in my career, helping me get to Japan by giving me a good recommendation. So that was awesome. And, you know, I'm not upset about that. Um, and he's a great guy, but the reason I'm telling that story is because coaches, you also need to know what you want out of each line, each role, and each player when they're in said role. That is your job, especially at the higher levels. And if you can communicate that, you're going to get more out of your players, which means you're going to get more out of your team, which means you're going to win more games, which means you're going to make more money, right? <laughs> right. You know, you're going to win more, you know, everything is good. So like by you knowing that, and establishing that line of communication and having it open. Oh, if you're on the first line, I'm looking for this. If you're on the third line, I'm looking for this. It will get more out of your players. They'll be happier. Nobody wants to come into the locker room or go into a game and not know what's expected of them, especially at the higher levels. Just tell the guys what you need, what you want, and then work towards it together to make sure that that product is, you know, being put out on the ice. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. The other thing too, that I I think would be a good talking point based on what you said is I think it's important to define what being hard to play against means because, you know, I I see some people hearing that and being like, Oh, I got to like go hit everybody that moves or got to run guys through the wall. Or if you're older, like I got to fight and things like that. And that's like, not really what that means, you know? So I'll ask you the question, like, what does being hard to play against mean to you? Well, in today's game or like, yeah, in today's game, in today's game, because that's relevant to the people that are listening right now. And I know it's, it's different. Yeah. Cause like literally like, you know, you don't really have to fight anymore. I mean, honestly, like nobody really fights and it was not that many. So in, in today's game, I would say being hard to play against is all encompassing single sentence answer, win every battle. (laughs) If we're, you know, win every battle or, or die trying to win every battle. Like there's guys who give up on pucks. There's guys who alligator arms. There's guys who don't engage on every single face off. Like that's not hard to play against. So like show up in every battle and try and win it. It, And that means on face offs, engaging, doing your job, um, 
stopping at the net all the time, protecting your goalie when guys are coming to the net. You be there and don't let anybody be there because then nobody's going to want to go to the net. If they know every time that you go to the offensive net that you're going to get a cross check across that, you know, your humerus bone where your shoulder pads and your elbow pads have a gap. Oof, that's a tough one. Dude, it's the worst. And yeah. I used to hate in the USHL because you used to be able to like, you know, rape and pillage people in the corners and in front <laughs> of the net, you know, like getting that cross check there. You're like, God, I don't want to go to the net against this team. I'm not going to feel my arm tomorrow. And there, you know, maybe you can't get those now as much, but like find ways, you know, find ways and get under the team's skin and just battle your ass off. And, you know, that goes for every situation in the game and on the ice. That's hard to play against. Doesn't mean you got to blow a guy up every shift. Doesn't mean you got to fight guys that can be part of it, but just showing up to every battle, like your life depended on it. That's somebody that's hard to play against. Yeah. To me, being hard to play against is relentless. Like those two things go hand in hand. And, you know, like, you know, it when you see it and, you know, the players, like, especially when you're playing against the same guys, you know, over and over again, even when maybe even in youth hockey, when you're playing the same team six, seven, eight times a year, all the way up to pros when you're playing those teams, like the, the people who you hate playing against are just relentless with their work ethic. And they, they never let you have an easy shift. I think that's the thing that really separates that, you know, every time you're on the ice, you're going to have to earn your time and space. They're in your kitchen all the time. If you're a defenseman, you're always up on your gaps. Great stick pressure. If you're a forward, like you're, you're beating guys to races to be F1, you know, you're getting to the net and you're freaking battling for puck possession on shot retrievals and things like that. I just think it's, you know, being hard to play against literally is making it not easy for, 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 you know, and I think about like, as an offensive player, who were the teams and who were the players that I played against that made life miserable? It was the ones that made you earn every inch of ice. There was a physicality to it. There was a, and, and like, I loved playing against guys. Like that actually got me going a little bit. Like I, when I was playing pissed off, I was a little bit better, but yeah, just a relentless work ethic, a relentless will to want to win races and battles um and and like a physicality that just you know it's it's just hard it's really really hard you have to earn everything you get and so i i think just being hard to play against is one of the best compliments that you can give to an opponent in the world um it's just because uh, hockey like now not that much being hard there is but there probably could be a lot more of being hard to play against a lot more and there's a lot of guys who could expose that opportunity sure like if you just have the mindset that you're gonna just be a pos on the ice like you're gonna turn a lot of heads because no one wants to play against that anymore everybody's getting a little bit getting more skilled no doubt about it which is amazing guys are a little bit softer because of that so like if you can expose that that weakness yeah and not everybody like this goes back to the first question like chances are if you're listening to this podcast like at some point you're not like you're not going to be an alex ovechkin like everybody needs to if you want to get to the next level like i don't whether it's triple a to juniors juniors to college college to pro you know or even like like when you go double a when you go up a level the chances are you're not going to be a top guy on the team so you have to learn that being hard to play against aspect and coaches we need to foster environments where we're bringing that out of players being hard to play against with how relentless we are in making sure we put competitions in practice you know not skimping on the details like the stick detail and being above and like things like that so um yeah you you, it is a separator for sure and everybody needs to like first line players in major junior and first line players in ncaa college hockey are probably playing on the third line once they get the pro you know, yeah. so if they haven't learned that be hard to play against aspect and you look at even a lot of the skilled guys in, in the NHL right now, some of the best players in the league, Sidney Crosby is really hard to play against. Nathan McKinnon is really hard to play against. McDavid's kind of getting there. Um, Brad Marchand, really hard to play against. Patrice Bergeron, really hard to play against. You know, they all have that mentality and, um, I shouldn't say they all have that mentality, but a lot of them do. It's just, it's, it's big. big. Yeah, and like talking about like exposing that, that 
opening where you could walk in the door by being one of these guys. Like I came into Boston uh, undrafted and at camp, most of the guys there are drafted. And after missing an entire year, not playing hockey for a full season, I come to my next camp healthy and I played five preseason games because I came in like a savage. I was like, I'm going to run guys over in any practice that I get into. And I specifically remember absolutely trucking one of their draft picks in a scrimmage. And I heard like, there was no one in the building. So I heard everybody. Go, oh, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, I'm here to like try and make this team. Like I'm here to do everything I can, you know? And I played in five games that first camp I was healthy where some of my buddies who I was in the AHL with who were first line second line or first round second round third round draft picks got one game or none I had played hockey in a year and they gave me five because I came in you know I crushed testing I proved that I wanted it I want I was going to be hard to play against you know and I turned some heads that way so like what if you're way more skilled than me which let's be serious odds are 98 percent you're probably more skilled than me if you play hockey at a higher level um, you know, and then you add that element to your game. It's going to open doors. And how bad do you want it? How bad do you want that shot at the show or whatever the next level is for you? You got to decide. And if you make that decision to, you know, be a battler, it's only going to help you no matter what your role is. All, All right. right, man. What do you got for me? So, you know, we talk a lot about this, but like we haven't gone into like super in depth. I don't think about like the why, how, what. I don't know about when, um, but like you were, you were some questions. Um, you were a leader everywhere you went and you had a letter from being a little kid, you know, all the way up. And even when you didn't have a letter, you were always a leader. Um, so like, why were you always a leader? Why did you always have a letter on your Jersey? What second W what? I, just paid, I just paid people off. <laughs> Yeah, what were you doing that made people vote you as the captain or assistant captain or you know what were you doing that made coaches uh want to put a letter on you want to bestow the leadership responsibilities on you you know so like why and what that's a good question um you know, I love talking about myself. So thank you for asking that question. Asked. Well, you made the topic of the <laughs> show, bro. So this is on you. Yeah, but I didn't know it was going to be like talking this kind of stuff. Um, I, you know what? At the end of the day, I think if I had to answer that question, I would probably say it came down to two things. I think number one, I just never wanted to be outworked. Like I had to be the hardest worker at five foot four to, to get to where I got to. So I like, that was important to me to do that. And I think as, as that's what you look for in your leaders, your leaders have to be your hardest workers. So I think that could be potentially part of it. And then, you know, I think the other thing is like, I really care about my teammates. Like at, at the end of the day, one of the reasons why I love playing hockey is to be able to go to battle with, with the boys. And so I just, I always put, like my teammates first um, maybe that's why I never shot the puck I always want to get the assists like I just enjoyed my teammates having success you know and um, I just I always felt like I and and I'm it was an honor to be like voted captain and, and things like that at the various spots that I was at and I I would think that maybe a big part of the reason why was because I, I really truly cared about my teammates and and showed that and showed up for them when they needed it and um, took interest in, in them. And so I, I don't know, I, it's a tough question to answer. Um, but I, I think reflecting on it, I just, I, I really worked hard and I just cared about the guys, you know, is other than the, well, I guess even the working hard, was that something a coach when you were younger told you needed to do your parents or was it just something that like you wanted you wanted to be the hardest worker on the team did somebody tell you well you're short if you're gonna go further in hockey you need to be the hardest worker like why yeah I um I mean there was always a chip on the shoulder kind of thing being small because I've been told I was too small since I was in diapers probably as far back as I can remember and I always wanted to prove people wrong but it's funny, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about this, like, especially when you're younger, 
um, like you're just a byproduct of your parents and what you see your parents do. You know, you're a really hard worker because you saw your mom and dad working really hard. I, I feel like that's a big part of why I'm a hard worker and why my sister is a hard worker and why my two brothers are hard workers is because my parents are really hard workers and they care about people. Like, so you, it goes back to my answer. Like I care about people and I work hard. My parents are some of the hardest working people that I know and some of the most caring people that I know about others. Right. And it goes back to like our grandparents are the same way. And my other grandparents are the same way. And, you know, so I just grew up in an environment where people were really good people and people worked really hard. And so you almost can't help, but like through osmosis, do that yourself. And so I would credit a lot of that to just like being around my parents a lot and watching them probably unknowingly that I was watching them and taking things in and seeing what they do. But thinking back on it now, after you asked the question at 36 years old, like that's gotta be a huge part of it. Cause right. I don't like, I don't ever remember, like, I'm sure they did tell me like, Hey, like if you want to get places, you got to be the hardest worker, but I don't like remember that. But I do remember, you know, seeing my, my grandfather work into the wee hours of the night because he was an entrepreneur that started his own business. You know, I, we saw our grandfather, you know, on Christmas Eve, cause he worked for the village and, you know, he got a beeper. We always hated the beeper because when he got beeped because it was snowing, he had to go plow the roads. You know, we saw how, how important that was for him to be a hard worker there. You know, your dad, mom, I like everybody in, in my, and your sphere, they're just, they're, they are, they're hard workers and they, they care about people. So a lot of good examples set for you and you just kind of, without even knowing it also picked up that trait probably. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I feel the same back way. On it, for sure. I feel the same way. I'd see my dad, you know, wake up at 4am every day for like 20 years and get home late because he was working to provide for the family and grow his business and do things like that. And then he'd go ref games um, to make even more money on the side and, and, you know, do that type of stuff. So yeah, I totally agree. So that's, that's kind of, I guess, like why now as a leader, what, what are things that you did as a leader? I guess probably as you got older, when you were like, really like you were trying to do things to make the team be better, you know, cognizantly, uh, yeah. consciously, what word did I say? Consciously. Cognizantly. Yeah. yeah. Cognizantly, <laughs> not a word. Cognizantly. Sure. Consciously. When you were consciously like doing things to be a better leader, like what, what would you do? What are things you did? Like, yeah. Any leaders out there. I think, I think, like that comes with caution a little bit because sometimes when you try too hard, you're not a good leader because you're not yourself. And, and I had that issue at certain times. Like I would try too hard, you know, We've like talked about that. Yeah. Yell at guys. I mean, yell at guys, it's not me, you it's know, like you. Yeah. Yeah. trying to hold people accountable. It's in, in good, you know, um, in good faith, but it's not like, it's not you. And so when you try to be somebody that you're not, you're not going to be a good leader. So it's almost like, don't try too hard like to do it, like the best kind of leader, just like we talked about. I don't remember my parents telling me to work hard, but I saw them work hard. So I think the best leaders lead by example. And I think when I was at my best as a leader, I was just being me and, and doing what I do to the best of my ability. Um, now, I, I feel like I'm an empath, just in, in my personality is an empath. So I can really sense when people are down or um, some things are wrong. And so I think I had a natural ability to like, seek that out in people and kind of put an arm around them when they needed it. And I remember a lot of different times during my career, especially in juniors and in college where, you know, you can recognize that a teammate's going through something, you know? Um, and, and I always like prided myself of being like, if somebody's in trouble, I'm the first person that they're going to call. And that happened, like, especially in college, you know, like it happens, guys will get, in, I don't want to say get in trouble, but you know, they need something and maybe they are getting in trouble, whatever, like, okay, I got to call Tove. Tove can help me out. Tove can get me out of this. You know, I know he's going to show up for me when, when needed. Um, so I just thinking like I had a, a kind of a unique ability to kind of understand when people were kind of going through some stuff um, and, and be able to, to kind of help them out. So maybe like know your strengths as an individual and naturally um, use them in how you lead probably. Kind yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Everybody's a different leader. It doesn't have to be. There's no carbon copy of what a good leader is. Right. I think the best leaders are themselves and the best leaders are the hardest workers and the best leaders, they, they care, you know, a lot about the people that they, that they work with or that they play with. And so hopefully those were things that, that I was pretty good at. Uh, you know, I never played on like real teams with you only like, uh, you know, summer spring teams or whatever. And th- those are all things that I always saw. Well, and just like, you know, just looking up to you my whole life. Um, those are all things that, that, you know, I saw for sure. And especially like talking to your teammates too, um, mostly in juniors. Cause like, you know, junior, junior guys are all pretty close. Um, you play each other so much. So I remember, you know, hearing that a lot about you. So yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks for making me talk about myself. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> used to it, bro. Um, okay. So my turn now. Um, one more each. One more each. Let's do a fun one. Not, not a, not a hockey one. Uh, Cause I, I, I was thinking about this as, as we were going through, cause we like, when we started this guys, like we didn't have questions prepared. We actually like in all honesty, we had a, a, a podcast guest lined up and like 10 minutes before they, they had to cancel. So we had to, <laughs> so we're, we're just going through it here. So I have, I have a question for you and that is give me your top three Disney movies of all time. Oh man. Top three Disney movies of all time. You don't mean animated. You mean any Disney? Any Disney. Or- like Disney, Pixar. Pixar or animated. Can be either one. So not like the Mighty Ducks. Okay. Like they got to be Ducks. like. Sandlot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, oh, man. That's so tough. I'm going to say Aladdin is definitely in there. Yeah. Old school. OG yeah. Aladdin. Uh, uh, give me a second here. Um. oh man like i'm trying to think of like freaking i was never like a huge cartoon guy you know like i mean beauty and the beast my sister and i watched eight billion times (laughs) sister you know like that was a good one so i mean it's a good movie you know good tunes tale as old as time (laughs) um hey i got three daughters dude there's like a there's like a princess like spotify disney thing and oh, sure that was on in the car today for sure you know, what, yeah. you know what i like a lot um is uh is it what's the one the rocks and where you're welcome that we were moana for this i like that one dude yeah, i watched it a couple good. times like i like moana so because i literally can't remember any other like <laughs> disney movies that are that were you know uh animated right now just off the top of my head i'm having a brain fart so i'll say those three what about okay. you um, so I think, you know, it's actually a really good one right now is Encanto. That's one my kids are really into. It's a, it's okay. one of the newer ones and it's Lin-Manuel Miranda. He does this, like the music's pretty good and a uh, good story and all that stuff. Uh, have it in my head constantly. We listen to it at breakfast every day. So, um, yes, thank you to that. Sure. I will get sick of it very soon. Um, so that's a pretty good one. I think like, honestly, like one of the first, like, I think it was one of the first Pixar ones, but Toy Story. Toy Story was a game changer. Slapped. Woody so Harrelson, Tom Hanks, oh, or not dude, Woody Harrelson. Um, Tim. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good one, too. Monsters Inc. was. Oh, also, I was, you know, I don't want to be that weird kid, but I also really like Nightmare Before Christmas, but I don't know if that's like Disney. I don't, I don't know. That's no, I don't think so. That's Tim Burton. No, I don't it's think like that's Disney. Creepy and weird and why I have tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Toy Story is great. Yeah. Tim Allen. I said Woody Harrelson. I don't know why I said Woody Harrelson. Uh, Tim Allen, Tom Hanks. That was, that was really good to infinity and beyond. Aladdin's definitely up there too. I feel like a lot of people our age, 36 to 40, let's call it. Aladdin was kind of like right in our wheelhouse princess jasmine total babe total uh, babe. and um robin williams in the like as the genie i mean best. come on robin best. williams rest in peace was the best robin williams live on broadway is the best stand-up special you will ever see in your entire life it is the Amazing. funniest thing that patch laugh out loud cry patch, patch Adams. Yeah. that's like cry cry <laughs> yeah it is for sure and then um you know what else is a really really good one an oldie but a goodie is the lion king Oh, dude, how did I think of that? Lion King's number one. Lion yeah. King number one. <laughs> that is one of the best songs for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great message yeah. too. Great so, message. okay, Disney, there you go. All right, wow. all right, what do you got for me? Last one. Well done. 
last one. Well, now I like, you know, I start thinking about Disney and I completely lost it searching my scrambled eggs at our brains. Um, well, I wasn't going to go with like uh, the last question I had wasn't like a, a, a sexy fun one. It, it was, um, if let's you could do go it then. Back, it's fine. If you could go back um, to college, would you study the same things you did or would you study different things? And, and if it's the same, like, why, why would you keep it the same? What is what you studied done for you? Like the actual studies, the education that I got? Like, you know, your major and what you really focused on, because, you know, one thing I get from my college guys, so many of them, like, what should I study in school? Yeah. You know? And I'm like, well, I, what are you passionate about? You know, that's, you know, I go into, but like, so now looking back at what you studied, um, would you have chosen to do that again? If not, what would you have chosen and why? Or if you would do it again, why? What has it done for you? Yeah, that's really interesting. So I went to school at Cornell to study Not psychology. A big deal. Cornell, <laughs> we did it. I wanted to study psychology. I always wanted to be like a teacher, a coach, you know, help, help people, social worker, something like that. Um, and so I went to study psychology. And then when I got there, I found out that I had to take like all these science courses, organic chemistry and, you know, all that kind of I'm like, no, I'm not. I just want to like, <laughs> I want to play hockey. <laughs> you know, that's my most important thing. And so I ended up switching over to sociology, which is very, I don't want to say very similar, but it's similar and it's people oriented, let's call it. And I, I really enjoyed actually my sociology major, I, I wish if I went back, like I would take my education a little bit more seriously from an educate, like trying to branch out a little bit and learn about the, like I, there was a lot of me that was just trying to get by to play hockey. Um, hard. It's hard. I can't imagine how hard Ivy League was. <laughs> it's as hard as you make it. People ask me that all the time. Like what, you know, how hard was it or whatever. And what I always tell people is it's hard as like you get out of it, what you put into it. If you want to get A's, it's hard. Like you have to work for them. It's not like you can show up or not show up to class and just put in a minimum effort and get A's and B's, you know? Um, but if you put in the work, you, you certainly can. Um, and so I, I would take different classes. The one thing that I wish I would have taken more classes in is in entrepreneurship. Now where I am in my life, because I think entrepreneurship and for people that don't know what entrepreneurship, like the kids that are listening to this, it's basically starting something from the ground up, specifically a business from, from nothing um, and, and just building it and building it and building it. And I've learned when I started the hockey think tank, I learned more life lessons from being an entrepreneur than from any other thing that I've ever done aside from my hockey journey, I would say. And so I would, I would take some classes in that. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed my sociology major. It was, it was interesting. Got me through. Wasn't terribly difficult. <laughs> so, um, how about you? Uh, I mean, I did, I, I did exercise science. I would have started it earlier. My freshman year, I did all gen eds and, uh, you know, just to like, cause I really wanted to focus on being the best hockey player I could. And then you have to do those to graduate. So I was like, well, I'll just get them all out of the way. Um, before I decide, because I was still like, should I be a business major? Like everybody does it, you know? And I, I, I was like, just, I'm going to be an NHL player. So like, I don't really need whatever's going to be up, even though nobody else thought that. Um, I, my whole goal was to leave school early, which I did. Um, but looking back, like maybe I should have taken more of my science classes earlier so that maybe I could have finished almost all of my major by the time that I left um, after, at the end of my junior season. But I definitely would have, would have, um, you know, stuck with the same major because it made me, I did it because it made me a better hockey player personally. <laughs> I was like, I want to learn more about my body so I can train smarter, train harder, eat better, all that stuff. So I can be better at hockey. Like literally that's why I did it. And then it just so happened that, um, you know, I didn't make 10 million over my career. Like I was hoping to, and, uh, I needed to work after and I started my training company. So, you know, I got to use all that knowledge I learned throughout my career and then at school and kind of put it together into what I do now. All right. Ended off. I would, love to, I would love to have taken an entrepreneurship class. So I don't even know if I'm sure they had them. I don't even know. Um, I took like the business business ethics business ethics yeah so i took those gen eds that literally did nothing for me looking back like most of those gen ed classes um <laughs> but uh yeah i would have done the same 
I like it. I like it. Ending it off with the most important thing, which is academics. And both of us were kind of like, yeah, we just wanted to get by. <laughs> so that's not that's not the lesson we're really. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> we're really trying to do it. I, I would say that I'm very glad that my parents were very strict on me with academics, because if they weren't, I would not have been able to get into and go to a school like Cornell and had the experience that I did. And uh, so very appreciative of that. Wish I would have taken a little bit more advantage of the education that I had when I did get to college, but um, didn't regret going back. But um, hey, this was fun. This is good. This was fun. Nice little, uh, nice little change of pace. Not really sure what we were going to do 10 minutes before we, we hopped on here, but uh, all good. And so, yeah, pretty good one, dude. Yeah. Hopefully I think this is YouTube worthy. I don't know. So should we tube to you? Yeah. If Tof does it, if anybody's listening to this in the car and they, uh, you know, want to pause and wait till they get home, watch it on YouTube. You can see our smiling faces. We do have, yeah, we do have a YouTube page, hockey think tank YouTube page. There's actually a lot of stuff on there. Before I took the job with Windy City, I did a lot of YouTube stuff, uh, deep dives into certain plays and, and certain players and things like that. And so um, we did this 10 questions thing, which was really cool where I would find somebody pretty high up in the hockey world and do a 10 questions with them just on their journey and their perspective and things. Yeah. So um, yeah, head on over to the YouTube page and uh, maybe I'll put this one up there. No, I will. Let's say we'll do it. We'll put that one up there. See Jeff's, see Jeff's pretty face and his, his (laughs) Lake Geneva, Lake Geneva pet stains. Yes. (laughs) So, all right, everybody, we hope you have a great, 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 great week. We love you. Thank you. Thank you so much for all the support that you give to our podcast and uh, go kill it. Go get your routine and go kill it.